Welcome to episode 35 of Stories of Gumption Podcast. Conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and just really, really impressive people. In the spirit of today's guest, I want to do a quick shout out to Mountain Lake PBS. If you are not a supporter of Mountain Lake PBS, or you don't tune into their programming, or you're just missing out on all the good stuff that they have available, check them out. MountainLake.org, in particular, become a member of the station. It doesn't require too much money, and you're supporting them financially, and they give you the gift of the Mountain Lake PBS Passport. It's basically their subscription service. You can get it on your on your iPhone, your uh, Android, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, I believe. Um, but they've got tons of programming. Become a member, support them financially, and you can gain access to their subscription as well. But also, it's not just national programming that makes Mountain Lake PBS important because that stuff's great. But they also do a lot locally in the North Country, Vermont, uh, well, I should say North Country uh, and Canadian region, a little bit of Vermont. Uh, But this organization is great. And in particular, uh, one program, Mountain Lake Journal, uh, put on by our host of today's podcast is an incredibly insightful program. So if you are not tuned in and or supporting Mountain Lake PBS, get on it now. Mountainlake.org slash passport. It'll take you right to their website, right where you can learn more about how to subscribe. So do it. Do it now. Pause the podcast and do it now. Okay, I'll see you in a couple minutes. Today's episode is sponsored by Sparkle Clean. If you've listened to any other episodes recently, you've heard my shtick about these guys, but they're great. Zach and Kate Hoyt. It's a uh, husband-wife duo running a local business, and they are killing it. In particular, as we face the coronavirus, they're a cleaning team that's certified to guarantee that 99.99999% of contagions have been removed from the surface. That's important. They... uh, They've done work for me and never disappoint. Give them a call, 518-578-2931. They're also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, at SparkleClean, S-P-A-R-K-I-L-K-L-E-E-N, SparkleClean. Zach and Kate Hoyt, everybody, check them out. We are lastly sponsored by Home Heavens Designs. Home Heavens Designs seeks to help take the stress out of selling, renting, organizing, and designing your home. They can give you tips that will help you stage, organize, and sell or rent your home quickly. They'll even help you write your online ads on sites like Zillow, Airbnb, and more. Take the stress out of the process of organizing and preparing your home for whatever you have in store. Dinner party, another special event, whatever it might be. Are you in love with your real estate agent? That's okay. You don't have to be selling or renting your home to work with Home Heavens Designs. They're here to help you organize, design, and create a beautiful home that's a reflection of you. They can still provide you with great tips and tricks that'll help you increase the value of your home by making tiny changes that cost very little. Check them out on Instagram. They're at Home Heavens Designs, H-O-M-E-H-E-V-A-N-S, Designs, all one word, Home Heavens Designs, or give them a call Or text at 518-593-5416. That's 518-593-5416.
Today, my guest is a legend in journalism, at least I think so. Locally in the North Country, he certainly is, but his career has not always been in the North Country. He spent some time in Lebanon, uh, Pennsylvania, Bangor, Maine, Portland, Maine, and then as I knew him, mostly uh, several years, over a decade at uh, News Channel 5 WPTZ as an anchor. He is now the... uh, one of the leaders over at Mountain Lake PBS, director of content and a senior producer. Uh, we talk about a lot of cool stuff, man. We talk about journalism today. We talk about his career growing up. We talk about prepping for big interviews and maybe even the, the contentious nature of some political interviews that he has done several of recently. Uh, great dude. I am thrilled to bring you episode 35 with the incredible Mr. Tom Halleck. Gumption, defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, and shrewdness. All right, welcome everybody. This is Ryan here coming to another episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. And today uh, I have an awesome guest with me, Mr. Tom Halleck. He's a senior producer and director of content at Mountain Lake or uh, Mountain Mountain Lake PBS. I know you know a lot of people will throw an <laughs> S on the lakes, Mountain Lakes. But yep. I look down at ML. P- PBS on my on yes. my notes here, but yes, he's the director of content, Mountain Lake PBS, host of Mountain Lake Journal, a news anchor. He, you may recognize him also from uh, his years at WPTZ News Channel Five as an anchor. More than a uh, decade, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's also a SUNY Plattsburgh grad. So, welcome to the podcast, Thank Tom. Thank you Halleck. very much. I appreciate it. We were talking here as we're sitting, uh, getting the podcast going, and as all podcasts start with a little small talk before you hit record, and you were looking at my pictures. And I we, was, and I knew instantly where you were married, <laughs> Valcor, <laughs> we, we, and it looks like he had a beautiful day. That's where my wife, Jackie, and I were married and uh, had our reception um, right around the same time. You were in August. Uh, yep. We were in September, September 1st, and it was just a beautiful day and a uh, perfect spot. Oh yeah, my gosh, it. it was awesome. Yeah, we rented the boathouse, had a great day. I was t- as I was telling you before, it was supposed to downpour that day. That's the risk of an outdoor wedding. It is. <laughs> but downpoured or Friday. August, August, it could also be 95 <laughs> degrees. True. Humid. I think it might have been. And we all had black tuxes, so you know, that, you know how that turns exactly. out. Exactly. The jackets were gone as soon as possible. Um, well, that's great. We had a lot more in common than I thought. <laughs> Valcor Conference Center weddings. Um so, you know, I got to say, I was thrilled when you said you would come on the podcast because in a way, I mean, we're, we've gotten to know each other through the uh, Mountain Lake PBS uh, uh, Community Advisory Board. Mm-hmm. But prior to that experience for me, you're kind of a local celebrity. <laughs> well, that's kind of you to say. Do you feel that way ever? Uh, I mean, certainly from my years on WPTZ and being on television – for a number of years, and, and now since then on Mountain Lake PBS, yes, people know you, and especially in a community this size, and so that that's wonderful when, yeah. when they uh, 
when they recognize you, when they want to chat with you, and when they just walk right up and start talking to you, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. So did you experience many uh, times you go to the grocery store or something during your, your day where people are just sure. like, are you, sure. are you Tom Halleck? Are you? But, <laughs> but you know, is it like that or am I just building it up? <laughs> no, and, and not really that that often. You know what sometimes happens is people recognize you and they go to say hello and then they realize, well, I don't really know him. I know how I know him from seeing him on television, and then they get all embarrassed, and so yeah. it's like you know that's that's fine. So it's always <laughs> always nice to to bump into people, and and if they say hello and start talking, it's it's wonderful to meet them. Yeah, and, and you get great stories that way. Oh, because, I'm sure. You know, next thing I'm you sure. know, you're talking about stuff and them, and and uh, and so there are always fantastic stories that come out of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, t- tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Tell me what uh, young Tom Halleck liked well, to do for fun. he was a farm boy. Really? Uh, so, uh, Are you gr- from this area? Or no, downstate, um, but outside of Albany in Schoharie County, which is very rural. I know where that is. You do? Yeah. When I was the director of the Boy Scouts, uh, uh, headquarters was Albany, and so I would travel throughout the Capital District all the time, so I'm familiar. Then you know how rural yes. it is. I mean, yes. we're, we're talking Gilboa is my hometown. Um, the only thing really that Gilboa is known for is two big dams, a hydro, a, a power authority hydro dam, the Blenheim Gilboa uh, pump storage project, and also uh, a huge dam that supplies water to New York City, the northernmost wow. dam uh, that provides drinking water to New York City. And uh, they actually wiped out the town, what little town there was there back uh, in the early 1900s to put that dam in there. So No kidding. Uh, we... We have two big dam projects and mostly dairy farms around it. So very, <laughs> very small. One of those towns where you have to drive 15 miles to get to the post office or Stewart's in Middleburg, one of wow. those deals. And people think nothing of it. They, they'll they drive to town three, four times a day. Yeah. So, but, uh, so uh, grew up on a dairy farm. And, okay. Uh, so summers uh, spent working on the dairy farm, uh, helping my dad out on the dairy farm. And so um, life uh, was pretty much focused around the dairy farm. All yeah. the work there and, and school. When, you know, it's one of those deals where a uh, very rural school, five, six towns, all went there. 300 kids, K through 12, all in the same building. Yep. Graduating class of 28. Yep. So, but school was also the other focal point. So you would always uh, find things to do at school. You would actually like to go to school because yeah. you have to see your friends. My, I have a couple friends who have uh, um, been on, on this podcast. Actually, one, Isaac Drew, he, his family uh, owns a dairy farm. And uh, he was telling me about his upbringing in Beekmantown and how, um, you know, that was it. Kind of like you described, you know, is sports. No, we don't have time for sports. We don't have time for that. We, like, we need you up before school. That's working, true. you know, milking the, and then you go to school and then you come home and then we got more stuff for you to do. That's true. Is that your experience? It or is, did but you I, get a I, mix? I was lucky. I got to play sports and, and you know, gosh, you love working on the farm. You love your family. But that, yeah. that was also a reason to play sports. It's like, you know, if I play <laughs> sports, I don't have to go right home and, and do chores. So uh, that's what I, I loved sports in, in high school. And that was part of the reason. But, um, you know, I, I certainly... Uh, understood, um, like lots of small family farms, we didn't have hired hands, so the kids really did a lot of work. Yeah, and, uh, the, the, the family counted on the kids to do that work. But what? you're right, up early, get chores done, <laughs> in the shower, off to school, 
And then if you didn't have sports, you were back working on the farm. Are you a morning person because of that? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I think if anything, I love to sleep in when I can. And yeah. I remember those days of being up at 6 a.m. Yeah. And rushing to catch the bus. What sports did you play? Did you have a, did you have a go-to or did you kind of just mix with a bunch of different things? Or? No, uh, primarily uh, baseball and basketball. Um, never loved the soccer. Uh, okay. I tried out and played um, junior high, but then... Um, and actually, uh, fall was the time that my dad needed the most help on the farm uh, because uh, okay. cutting corn. Oh, so, okay. Uh, yep. we would we would do the corn cutting when we got home, um, and so that was that was fine. That was a good trade off. I got to nice. play the other two sports, and nice. and I gave up soccer. Too small for football. Too small. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I honestly I, I I played football, but I was probably too skinny for football at the time. But I I made it through. You know, we're not playing in. In, uh, in Texas or something where I would have gotten broken in two pieces or something. So. And where did you grow up? I grew up right here. I was born in uh, Great Falls, Montana, smack dab in the center of Montana. Don't really remember it because I was too young. Brief stint. My dad got a job in New Jersey, lived there for a little while. And then when I was about, I think, my parents will have to fact check me on this, but maybe like four-ish, we, lo- we moved to Plattsburgh. And he was a uh, Air Force... Uh, he was enlisted in the Air Force. My f- grandfather before him was a lifer in the Air Force. No so, kidding. you know, Plattsburgh was on the map because of the Air Force you base. Bet, yeah. And uh, he didn't take, he wasn't in the Air Force when we moved here. But yeah, since since I was about four, I grew up here. I went to Beacon Town. And, uh, you know, football in this area is very you different bet. from football in some you other bet. places. What a beautiful stadium they've got there now i oh my gosh we didn't have that no we yeah. did not <laughs> that's, yeah, that's amazing football was on saturday morning because you couldn't play friday night that's there was right. no lights that's right that's right <laughs> but anyhow i digress so at some point in time you decided you wanted to be a journalist did you i did did yeah, you figure that out when you were a kid or I, did you I take did. some other paths I, first or i didn't it was uh uh, I think like a lot of kids, we, of course, would watch television. We got all of three channels back in those days. <laughs> uh, black and white, I think we got our first color set in 72 or nice. 73. So, um, But, of course, you would watch the local news. My, your parents would sit down and watch the local news. Yep. Um, and so I fell in love with that. I was fascinated by that. And um, at a young age, a crew came down from one of the stations in Albany, um, uh, WRGB and covered some flooding in the area, and um, they stopped by the farm. Um, we had some flooding going right through our dairy barn, so they heard about that, and they thought, oh, that's oh, a great story. So they came to, back in those days, film it, and I got to meet the crew, and of course, I followed them all around for... for the, <laughs> How old were you? Oh, probably, probably 10 or 11. Okay. And uh, so that that was it. Uh, yeah. I, I had the bug, and uh, I thought, that's a really cool job. I would love to do that, and so... I did. That's awesome. So somehow from there, did you, did you find like opportunities in high school or something to do like a similar there skill? There weren't really. Or, we, yeah. we were so small, we didn't have that opportunity. I know a lot of schools do have that and, and, and are doing that now, but we didn't. It wasn't until college and then in college where you talk about uh, gumption. Yeah. I, I know most colleges are set up this way, and certainly SUNY Plattsburgh was at the time, where you really didn't do internships until your senior year usually second semester senior year. And I thought I'd like to do an internship much earlier. And yeah. so I 
set up an internship with WRGB, the the television station in Schenectady. Oh, New York, cool! And um, did everything I needed to do to make that happen. So this the summer of my sophomore year, um, I worked there as an intern and lived with uh, my aunt and uncle in Clifton Park, and that was really the first step toward a career uh, in in doing television. At the time, I was a DJ at Weave Radio. <laughs> uh, that was my first job um, in 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 broadcasting. Um, uh, wonderful gentleman, Ben Everest, who was yeah. a longtime news director here, uh, hired me, took a chance. I was at yeah. Pottsburg State uh, working at WPLT, the college radio station. And so he hired me, and I was working there, um, doing primarily work as a DJ, but also helping out with news a bit. And then that summer of... Uh, 82, I'm dating myself, the summer of <laughs> 82, I had just this internship uh, of, you know, that... Uh, life-changing. Uh, yeah, life-changing, uh, dream-come-true internship uh, at uh, WRGB in Schenectady, one of the, you know, one of the oldest, most respected TV stations in the country, and, and that was it. Uh, yeah. And sort of launched everything. Well, I'm very curious about all of that, but we'll start... This whole progression here of your career and and all of that with a with a stories of gumption question right sure. so what does gumption mean to Tom Halleck? Yeah. <laughs> Getting what you want, uh, drive, uh, initiative, uh, yeah, um, enterprising, um, courage to, yeah. to do what nobody I think had done before. Saying I want to do this internship. You know, two years before senior year, I don't want to wait. I want to get it done now. Um, just uh, get up and go. And yeah. Making things happen. I love it. So tell me. Tell me. You got a story or two? Well, th- th- that was the first time. Uh, so the first example. And uh, we were chatting before we started uh, yeah. about uh, the debates that we do every year. And, yeah. and a lot of times you really have to have gumption to make these things happen. A lot of, you know, th- there's a, a lot of people that don't want to participate in debates yeah. you know, for whatever reason. And you really have to gently twist arms. Other times you have to really push it and, and, and step up. And so I think uh, in, in, in the case of uh, landing some of these debates over the years, it's taken uh, gumption to, uh, to get them organized, to be persistent, to not take no for an answer, to find a way to make them work, to find a way to get people to participate. And so um, I think those will be the most recent examples. Yeah. So as a, as a director of content, so to speak, at uh, Mountain Lake PBS, is that part of your role at the actual solicitation to get yeah, elected I mean, officials and, sure, and candidates sure. to show up for a debate? Sure. And it's... Um, Anything to do with on-air product, anything to do with the local program, either Mountain Lake Journal, uh, the debates, the, the community forums that we, we hold and that we host, yeah, that's you've, I have to organize those and, and get people to participate. And that's an, another thing. Sometimes community forums, you would think uh, people would love to talk about uh, uh, everything and, and be willing to come on, but there are some topics that uh, you really do have to twist arms to get people to come on and and, and talking, so that's a, another example. I imagine it must be very difficult, uh, not that th- not to take this in a political direction, because that's not the focus of this podcast, but everybody has their own political sure. views. 
Sure. And you have to navigate that in conjunction with a very impartial debate moderation, right? And, and I would assume the stakes are pretty high for a congressional debate. Sure. Questions sure. are probably pre-planned for you and everything, or do you – How? tell me about that whole experience. That sounds – Challenging. <laughs> it, it can be challenging. It can be a little nerve-wracking and yeah. intimidating. But, you know, um, I have been so fortunate uh, uh, because I have friends in the business who who have had debates that they have loose cannons and or they have a lot of contention. And, and uh, luckily, I have been so fortunate. Uh, the candidates have always been great. Uh, they uh, they cooperate. Uh, yeah. They play by the rules. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of negotiating to get to the final debate, to get it set up and get everybody in the studio and get it going. But once there, I have been so fortunate I haven't had any horror stories yeah. of uh, the loose cannon who's just gone off and ignored your questions or the times and just uh, sees it as an opportunity to get their message out. Uh, they can't afford ads in many cases. Um, you know, candidates like that that will then yep. try to commandeer <laughs> a debate. So yeah, I've been lucky, but I have friends. I had one just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's uh, quite a contentious U.S. Senate debate going on up in Maine. Susan Collins uh, seeking re-election. Yep. And there was a debate there where a third-party candidate who can't afford a single ad took the opportunity, was invited to participate, and seized the opportunity to uh, to take control of the debate. And, and uh it wasn't pretty, and I felt yeah. I felt for the moderator. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I look at I look at the debates that are that you moderate, uh, at Mountain Lake, and they all seem very crisp and thorough and Thank good, you. well That's... done. But then I look at not to throw any digs at any moderators, but I see the pre- the recent last several presidential re- debates, the primary debates. Frankly, there's no secret here. They're all kind of sound bites, and uh, the moderators seem to have a very difficult time they pulling do. that together. They do. That I don't envy them at <laughs> all. And, and, you know, I actually watch those debates to see how they perform. Interesting. Uh, the, the moderators, of course. You're uh, like I'll watching go, film as yeah, a football. I'll, you know, I'll, you're like <laughs> I'll go back and, of course, watch it for the content later, but I, I'd love to see how they handle it, how they how they do, and and uh, the first one coming up, um, geez, in, in just a week or so. Yeah, uh, Chris Wallace. I I I will be very interested in seeing how he does. I I admire him. I think he's a yeah. I think he's a great journalist, and so um, I I'll be rooting for him <laughs> that yeah. he can uh, that he can uh, with the two of the candidates. Uh, it'll it'll be an interesting debate, but I I I wish him well. Yeah. So. How much time do you think goes into for you prepping for various debates of different levels? You know, we have yeah. this year we have quite a few. I, we have the mayoral debate, right? We have right. Uh, state senate, state senate, forty fifth district, Dan Steck yeah. and Kimberly Davis. Yeah, Try, we have a congressional uh, election coming up. We do. Yeah. Uh, our friends at WPTZ have that debate this year. So, yep. um, and and to be quite honest, probably three debates might be a bit much to try to. Uh, to uh, pull off uh, for a station. So, um, you know, we're happy to do these two. Uh, we have a great mayor's race going on here this this year, and uh, 
So uh, Chris uh, Rosenquist and Scott Beebe, I think that'll be a great debate. That's yeah. coming up uh, on October 9th, a Friday night at 8. But then, you know, Mountain Lake PBS, we air our debates right through the weekend. So from yep. uh, the 9th right through Columbus Day, um, we'll be airing that debate. So And then uh, Dan Steck and Kimberly Davis a little bit later in October. But back to your question, um, it certainly varies, but you got to read up on yeah, read up on it, and and um, and you know we do. We have great journalists. We instead of just having the moderator, you can do that. You can have that format, and and as we'll see in the presidential debates. But I always love to have other journalists uh, participate, um, newspaper journalists who who cover the races in particular. And so uh, we're fortunate that in both cases, uh, the Press Republican uh, reporters uh, will be joining us. An uh, Adirondack Daily Enterprise reporter for the uh, Senate debate. And uh, Pat Bradley, our friend from WAMC Radio, will yeah. will uh, help us out on the mayoral debate as well. Yeah. So how big is your team that, that goes into prepping for one of those? Is, is it you? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I yeah. mean, we do have the production folks who yeah. will run the cameras, and, and our engineering uh, guys are fantastic to help get the, the studio set. But, yeah, it's it's pretty much a department of one when it comes to, 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 the, to the prep. That's impressive. I I guess that also piques my curiosity too because as I said earlier, you know, I I remember you from News Channel 5 and I'm sure many of the residents in this area do and over in Vermont as well. What was that like versus you know, Mountain Lake PBS? Well, uh yeah, they're two different worlds. I two mean, very different worlds, news, I assume. Yeah. Uh, I loved it because uh you're you know, the immediate information that you're giving out every day. You know, some of my fondest memories, and I know this sounds weird in a way, some of my fondest memories are the ice storm and events like that where we really needed to step up, and we did, and and provided, that's when television does what television does best, yep. when you have situations yep. like that. So those are the days I remember more than, than any other. So I, I loved that part of the business and, and the commercial news. I also loved after 10 years, 11 years there, and about 30 years altogether doing daily commercial news mm-hmm. and having that daily turn. I loved being able to step back and to have a weekly program and to spend more time on that and do different types of stories. Yeah. So it's been a, like a second career in a way. And, you know, uh, I, I admire. My colleagues who still work at the commercial stations, uh, the the amount of work uh, that they do every day and and turning everything around so quickly, it is such a luxury, though, to be able to spend a week or two on a story and and turn a longer format story, and and that's sort of what we do with our program. Yeah, it seems interesting, like the the options in journalism of, of, well, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong here but the nonprofit model versus the for-profit model where you're you're the daily news source versus maybe uh, a less frequent but um more in-depth news source maybe in depth maybe not the right word but well, longer format stories. longer you can form do, conversation you can do, uh, longer form you, stories exactly and you can do yeah. the type of stories that uh, on the commercial stations are just too long because they really have shorter yeah format stories and uh you know, I'll give them credit. Uh, the newscasts now are much longer, two, three-hour newscasts in the morning yeah. and, and evening, so they're doing a lot of anchoring. But, uh, yeah, for us, we, we have we have that 
luxury of being able to spend six or seven minutes on a on a story or to have a, a community forum where for an hour we'll talk about something of importance like uh, last uh, last November we did broadband and rural broadband and and where we can dedicate a full hour to that and you know the commercial stations just that's not their bread and yeah. butter they're not set up to do that that's what that's where public television public media excels and and yeah I love being able to do that how is the industry changed since you started Ooh, dramatically <laughs> um in in many ways uh stations are doing a lot more hours of news every day yeah um um they uh, a number of them are owned by larger corporations that have really cut back uh staffing um mm. you will see many of the reporters these days are are back to shooting their own video doing everything themselves editing their own material um taking care of everything for the web. I think I think reporters today do a lot more work, have a lot more responsibilities than 10, 15, mm. 20 years ago when I was in the business, of, of the business of commercial yeah. news every day. I feel like I've seen that a lot. I feel like I see the, you know, one of the projects that I've engaged with local news and media the most recently is uh, our Rotary um, club does accessibility ramps. We build those for right. citizens in need, and periodically we get media to come from various mediums to to come and check it out, see what we're doing. And it just seems you're right. I I've never really thought about that until now, but they're showing up with their camera, their gear. They got everything. They're by themselves, and they're taking interviews themselves and they it's are. just they're doing everything themselves and yeah in many cases they're now going live right from there with these tvu units that they call them you know back in the day there would be the microwave truck with the uh with the yeah. antenna that would go 30 feet up in the air <laughs> yeah. or yeah. the satellite truck that would come over with the big dish now they have their tvu units if they've got broadband if they get internet access they can uh, send their signal and they can do their live shots right there. So you see a lot of reporters going live uh, from the field. And in, in, an, in a number of cases, they're setting that up themselves. That's and, crazy. And doing it themselves. Wow. So journalism today, you have to have a lot more uh, broad skill set, maybe. You do, and you, have to, and you have to be fast. You have to be nimble. And, uh, and, you, and, and I think the generation of reporters coming out, uh, they're taught to do that, and they're geared to do that. They... They know that they've got to turn a lot in a in a day. Yeah, is it is it um, less common for someone to say then because of all this that you know I really I really love um, media I love uh, uh, journalism but I kind of want to just be the camera guy. Is that less common now because everybody's kind of consolidating like that? Or it may be. There are higher. still s spots. Stations still will have uh, photographers, videographers. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you're going through college and, and that's what you want to do, you can still find those jobs. You can still find that career. Probably not as many openings as there would have been 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And so for you, as you were going into the profession, you knew you wanted to be an anchor, I suppose? Or what was that No, I, I, I really didn't know early on. Um after, uh, while I was in college here, I interned at WPTZ. And so um, back in the day, again, I'm dating myself. Uh, this would yeah. have been the uh, in the early 80s. Uh, WPTZ would use interns as photographers. And so for us, it was fantastic. We That's would get cool. to every day go work as a news photographer and get that experience. And um, 
So, uh, but I, I knew early on I wanted to be a reporter. Yeah. Um, and and uh, my first couple of jobs, we had to do both. Small markets where you have to do both. And in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania was my first job. And and so I had to shoot my own stuff. And, and um, But I also got to be a reporter. And then um, second job in Bangor, Maine, I went to a, a shop that had all photographers, which was uh, nice. Nice, yeah, to be yeah. able to to uh, to have a photographer full yeah. time. This is my own internal bias for so forgive me for <laughs> okay. or maybe in- ignorance really ignorance to the profession and don't take this the I, wrong way. But I won't. I love the movie Anchorman. How <laughs> 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 you assume? <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> Is it is any of that true? Is any of the way they characterize the competitive nature of people trying to all buy for the anchor spot? And maybe a little. It probably maybe, depends maybe, in bigger cities, maybe. Perhaps, but. perhaps, but um, <laughs> different yeah, news but, channels all having their own right. teams against that's each right. other. <laughs> all oh. all racing to uh, report the news on the. Uh, on the panda giving birth, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, that, that was a great movie. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't think to that degree, or within the, you know, the competitiveness within, uh, sure. within the station, uh, not quite to, to that degree, uh, but uh, probably there would be a few isolated cases where, sure. yeah, people would do anything to. Uh, to get someone else's job. Sure. And I, I'm sure that could be said about any industry, honestly. I think you're right. You I know, and right. everybody, every industry is going to have varying levels of competitiveness and who wants to be the top gig. Is is the anchor sort of seen as the top person? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like you, it's, you yeah. once you're there, like it's, it's, it's the big chair. It is. And, and yeah. the most experienced journalists uh, within the station and the most coveted position, sure. What was it like when you learned you were going to be an anchor for the first time? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, that would have been in Maine, in Bangor, Maine. Um, and um, I actually went there for an anchor job, uh, a noon anchor job, back in the day when the stations put a lot more emphasis on noon newscast. And, okay. And it, it would be just an anchor for that noon newscast. So um, still reporting afternoons, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I was 23. Wow, 23 um, in an anchor. Yeah, I just, yeah. That I was, seems I was, early to me. Is that it, early? It, it that is seems a little, early. It is a little early, but Bangor was a smaller market, Okay, a smaller city, so you would get that type of opportunity there. So um, at, at 22, I actually anchored in, in the Lancaster uh, market. Uh, Here's how small that station was. <laughs> I would anchor the news yep. and then take a commercial break and then come back and do the weather <laughs> and then take a commercial yes. break and come back and do sports. Nice. So we were a tiny little station. It was actually located in um, Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania, but in the Lancaster TV yep. market. But uh, So my first job, I did get to anchor, but I didn't get too big of a head because yep. – uh, I realized, oh, I also do sports and weather, and uh, so yeah. Uh, by the time I got to Bangor, though, it, it was it was nice to be able to do it uh, in a more professional place with a lot to larger staff. Seems like yeah. Now that I'm thinking about this, you know, you, there's there's varying degrees of what that role would be like. I'm sure, uh, depending on where you are, it makes me think of another TV show that recently came out. Um, Oh shoot! What's it called? the The morning show, yes, uh, yeah, with Jennifer Aniston yeah. and very interesting show. I've enjoyed watching that as well. Have you seen it? I have not, and that's on. 
uh, Apple. It's on Apple. And yes. so uh, Apple TV. Yeah. So you kind of got a exactly little and I, subscription. I, Chance issues there, yeah. It's not ever my wife and I negotiate. It's yeah. like if we're going to add something, what show is on there that we really want to see and that we'll get that service? And so, yep. I uh, we haven't gotten Apple yet, but uh, from what I've seen, uh, that I mean, it's 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 I think it's a more realistic picture, yeah. I, obviously, there's a lot of added drama, drama for but, sure, yeah, absolutely. But I think, uh, uh you get a, a more realistic picture of uh, of what the business is like. Yeah. This is probably an interesting question, but I'm sure amongst your colleagues, you've had a lot of frustration about the phrase fake news. Oh, yeah. Um, again, not to get political, uh, but I just want to get your take on the whole phrasing of fake news in today's environment and the polarization around it. Yeah. Is that, you're comfortable talking about that? Yeah. Um, Obviously it's a term that's caught on, uh, uh, a term that's used effectively uh, by politicians, uh, by the president and, and his followers. Um, I think it's a way to immediately dismiss other opinions and views so that I don't even want to hear any other uh, side to this story. I think it's too simple for people to say that now and just walk away and, and not really try to listen to uh, to both sides. Um, and so it's it's a catchphrase that, uh, you know, it's caught on. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think in the overwhelming majority of the cases, it's where a different side is being presented. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and that uh, for whatever reason, people don't want to hear it. They don't have to hear it anymore. They can, yeah. they can watch just what they want. Uh, they can watch uh, channels uh, that are customized to them and their viewpoints. And, and unlike back in, back in the days when, we, you know, when I was growing up, you're much younger than I am, um, you know, really there were the media sources, and that's why they would really try to cover – both sides, I yeah. thought, effectively back then. Yeah, and um, now they're you don't have to because uh, you can you can cater to the audience that you want, and and I think that people can find um, the news that they want uh, that's uh, that they like and they enjoy watching, and I and I think that uh, uh, in many cases they just dismiss anything else uh, as, as fake news. Yeah, differing viewpoints. Seems like it's required journalists to have a little more gumption in their day-to-day job to break through that barrier of just their their um typical followers and you know and i think you know that seems like an interesting challenge for a journalist today i think you're right and i think local journalism uh local tv local newspapers i think they still do a very effective job at doing that and getting both sides of the stories yeah yeah it seems seems to me that local journalism, local politics has always been able to kind of be a little more insulated from that. I think you're right. I think you're right. You, you know, every now and the then. The higher the stakes, uh, right. the bigger the picture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think that's still overwhelmingly true today. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Have you seen, I keep asking you if you've seen various shows here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Have you? Do you subscribe to Netflix? 
We do not. That's the other one. So Man, are, are we going? I know. I'm missing I the know. mark here. Okay. You know, we subscribe to Passport. We're loyal. We're lo- loyal PBS viewers, and we we subscribe to Passport as our as our streaming service. And which is uh, great, by the way. It is. And um, there are a couple of programs on Amazon Prime that Jackie absolutely loved, uh, and so we we got that. Uh, Mrs. Maisel was. Oh yeah, one that, that was fantastic. Yes, and so uh, so. Yes, I know we're in a minority. <laughs> so, um, but I hear about all these wonderful shows on Netflix. I mean, I sometimes wonder how people have time to watch them all. Uh, they're just, I, I don't think there's ever been another period when television has been as great as it is right now with all the options and all the fantastic programming. It's crazy. And the Passport for those of you listening, just we, we could talk about this a little more towards the end of the podcast, but the Mountain Lake PBS Passport is worth donating to the station to get. It is an amazing If you tool. love PBS programming, you oh bet. My uh, gosh. If you love Masterpiece or Nature or any any PBS program, even even our local program, if you if uh, you know, in this day and age it's hard to sit down and watch the program when it's yep. on. We've yep. got other stuff going on, so with Passport you do have the luxury of being able to watch our weekly program, Mountain Lake Journal, yep. anytime you want, which yep. is fantastic. Where I was going to go with that um, that question about Netflix, though, is um, there's a, a program, one episode that uh, my wife Lauren and I just recently watched called The Social Dilemma. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Very interesting. Goes into, it, it has uh, a number of interviews from a lot of uh tech, big tech, Silicon Valley, past uh, founders, partners, executive level leaders at Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, uh, a lot of those big tech firms that, you know, frankly, have a lot of power, you know, and and, uh, it's it's just it's interesting because um, in light of what we were talking about and, you know, I guess echo chambers right of of news and and the fake news concept uh it's really interesting to watch that and um see the power that those social media companies have to leverage your usage of their platforms into greater profit and just data that can be then used to perpetuate their product absolutely Um, Absolutely. We're seeing a little, just within the last few weeks, few months, uh, you know, they're stepping in and and starting to police a little bit. But uh, yeah, you're right. Oftentimes um, we're seeing what they want us to see. In in the age of social media, do you feel like they're a competitor to you? Because they're they're a news source. Sure. I know a lot of younger people that tell, you know, like, where do you get your news? Oh, I just look at Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I, they don't I, watch the news. To us, to a certain degree, maybe more so to the commercial stations and the newspapers, certainly the newspapers. They're, yeah. they're taking content from the newspapers and, and putting it up. They're, yep. they're yep. taking advertisers away from the newspapers. And so I think that is, is one of the big reasons that we've seen uh, what's happening to the newspaper industry. Um, mm. I think social media has had a huge impact on them. Mm. Mm. That's crazy world. It's crazy world. And, and you know, in, in many cases, they've 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 got a, a good case. I mean, uh, they're the ones who do the work. They do the journalism. They put out the product, and then it's 
taken from them, you know, whether you want to call it aggregators yeah. or whatever, but uh, it's their their content is ending up on social media and uh, social yep. media is reaping the benefits from it. Yep. Anyhow, I don't know if there's a way for you to, to get access to that, but I feel like you'd be interested in, in, in watching that, the social I'm, dilemma. I'm making a list here. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to, you'll have, it's like you said though, too, who has time? I, I, uh, funny little side note, I, during this COVID period, we've done a lot of home renovation because mm-hmm. we've just had a little bit more time to do that. And, uh, one of the projects, uh, we did was a new floating entertainment studio on the wall. So we oh, got kind nice. of a shelf that floats on the wall. And with that, we said, okay, it's time to finally upgrade our TV. Got a nice new TV. We rarely turn it on. Really? <laughs> I mean, we turn on the journal or the, yeah. you know, um, Lake Mountain Lake Journal sometimes. We'll turn on uh, Netflix. But um, it's just kind of funny how, to your point, there's so much content, but some days we just you just don't have time yeah yeah there's so much going on is it a nice big 65 inch uh, flat screen it's a 60 inch oh, flat nice. screen. <laughs> yeah uh, so it makes things a little easier i don't always have to wear my glasses now to watch <laughs> and there's a lot to be said for that yes yes um well th- this is this has been this has been very really good tom i uh i appreciate uh you sharing a little bit of your Happy life to. with me, and uh, it's always interesting, as I said, talking to a, uh, in my mind, a local celebrity. Well, that's very <laughs> kind of you. Um, before uh, we pivot to uh, giving you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about Mountain Lake PBS, sure. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to go to some rapid fire questions. Okay. Yes. Oh, this is like a debate. These are lightning round questions. <laughs> I've got I've got five of them. Here, All right. Okay. Let me do Hit it me to close them. out each podcast. Okay. Um, number one. Yes. What's a book that you would gift to a friend and why? I well, we just spoke about Chris Wallace a few minutes ago. Uh, I was given a book as a gift uh, just a few weeks ago and read it. It uh, the title of it is Countdown to 1945, and 75 years ago with the dropping of the atomic bomb. Uh, Chris Wallace wrote this book about Harry Truman and how he had 100 days after FDR died and he became president, he had 100 days to decide whether to drop the atomic bomb. And I didn't know a lot of the yeah. the, the, the details around that. And so it was a fascinating read. And um, I think for anybody, it would be just to go back and relive that where where you talk about a president having to make a life or death decision that affects the world. Um, you know, we talk about now that with nuclear weapons and everything, everything could change. But uh, back then, to go back and read what he struggled with uh, for those 100 days uh, before deciding to drop uh, the first atomic bomb. That's a crazy decision. Count, uh, countdown to 1945. And uh, um, Chris Wallace uh, wrote it. I think it came out uh, earlier this summer, and uh, it was given to me. And I was like, well, this is fascinating. I'm going to sit down and... It was one of those I read in I, in one week. Yeah. It's like I can't put this down. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I, 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 I can't either. And, and you know, <laughs> there were parts in that book where 75 years later, you still get goosebumps and chills where, where they talk about, you know, it's either this or that and neither, you know, do we, do we potentially kill 100,000, 130,000 Japanese or 
if we get into a, a, a long war with Japan, could we lose a quarter of a million American troops and more Japanese? And so it was in either or with hundreds of thousands of deaths. So it's like I, I couldn't even imagine having uh, the weight of that type of a decision. And also because it's such a terrible thing now the impact that that's had on the world had he not done that who, who somebody probably would have utilized that at some point i think i don't know russia like, i think in the book it talks about how russia was in the early stages of developing an atomic bomb but yes it would have it, probably been inevitable inevitable within a few years some somebody needed to do it it sounds really bad saying that, but it seems like at some point in history, somebody would have to use one for the world to see how devastating it is. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, there's more great parts to that book that the lead scientists later had terrible second thoughts about it and uh, uh, told President Truman that he, he regretted making the bomb and, and Truman kicked him out of the White House, said, don't you ever come back to this to this Oval Office. Uh, he, he had... He, made the decision and was living with it and accepted it and moved on. And as time went on, he, he believed it was the right decision. And anybody that challenged that, apparently, uh, uh, Truman didn't want to hear from them. Wow. And so a number of the scientists that developed it uh, uh, thought, what have we created? Who's going to oversee this? It shouldn't be a government uh, it, it should be a worldwide body of scientists that that uh, oversee this, and so that's sort of the, the direction a lot of the uh, the scientists who developed it went in that direction. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It okay, was, it was a good read and a good gift. Wow, I may have to get that book now, <laughs> um, just because of the dramatic nature of all of that. Uh, question number two. Yes, if you could spend a full day with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Probably just because of my profession and growing up, uh, it would, you know, uh, a Walter Cronkite, a, a Tom Brokaw, a Charles Kuralt, uh, someone like that. Just, um, you know, one of the great journalists just to spend a day with them, see what makes them tick. I find myself always taking so much longer than I want to originally on the rapid fire, but I get so curious about all the answers what do you think was going through Walter Cronkite's head the day he had to announce to the country that uh, JFK had been shot? I think you can see it. I, you can see it on his face. You can hear it in his voice. And, um, you know, the, the, the two ends of the spectrum, the day he had to do that and the day that man took a s step on the moon and he got to say that and look at it and and—, and Tell the world. Yeah, the jubilation. Um, so the two opposite ends. But, uh, you know, the, the, the deep, you know, you can hear him swallow uh, when he when he says the time of the death uh, that, that uh, President Kennedy was, Kennedy was declared dead at, at whatever time it was. And just, yeah. I, That's the power of the role you've chosen. It is. And, and you know, and, and like I said before, that's... Uh, Terrible, terrible moment in our nation's history, but that's the moment that I look at and I see the power of television where they were bringing it to you live as it happened, and, and that's what television does so well in, in cases like that. Wow. Great choice. Uh, question number three. Yes. If you could put up a billboard anywhere in the world, <laughs> what would you put on that billboard? And I suppose for bonus points, whatever they're worth, uh, 
if you want, where, where would you put it? Where would I put it up? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there, are, there are billboards. The most iconic billboards, I think, in Plattsburgh are near Skomotion Creek coming down Route 9. There are a couple of billboards right there yep, by yep. Skomotion Creek. And then, of course, there are billboards on Route 3 um, heading out of Plattsburgh uh, for the fairgrounds um, right on that stretch over by Praise Market and in there. So yep. which location would be the best uh, is a good question, which will, <laughs> would have the most eyeballs. Um, and what would I put on it? Uh, maybe something simple like be respectful. Um that's that's kind of how I view the world and live the world. Be respectful of each other and their views and and uh, get along. Uh, honestly, sometimes simplicity is sophistication. Exactly. <laughs> Put that on a billboard. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Small, small font at the bottom. Be <laughs> yeah. respectful. That's right. Simplicity is sophistication. That's it. Perfect. But I think you're right. <laughs> if uh, Question number four. Yes. If you could go back in time and give your 18-year-old self a piece of advice, what would you say to yourself? Probably stick with it. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left high school and went to SUNY Plattsburgh. Uh, undeclared major, had no clue, and I was... Oh, I struggle with that. It's like, how could I not have a declared major? I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I coming to Plattsburgh? Um, and just to tell myself it's going to be okay. You will find your way. You will find the path. You know, whether you believe that things happen for a reason for you. Um, my college roommate uh, worked at the radio station and invited me to come participate, and that's how I got involved. I had no plans to study broadcasting, even, even though I loved it when I was uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, at, at high school. Um, I really didn't know if it would be a profession that I would be able to get into. So when I started, I knew they had the television department and radio departments here, but I hadn't really thought about whether I would, would join them. Um, and then quickly, when the opportunity presented itself, then I realized, yeah, I, I do like this, and this will be a great career. So I would say to myself at 18, stick with it. You may not know now, but within a few years, you'll find the path. Awesome. I like it. Final question here. It's my favorite question. All right. I ask everybody this question. Number five, if we could assemble a personal board of directors, a three-person board of directors for Tom Halleck to guide and mentor you through the rest of your life, who would those three people be that you select that can be alive, deceased, famous, or not? Hmm. But who would the three people be on your personal board of directors and why for each of them? Well, one would be my father, who I admire so much. Uh, he passed away about 10 years ago, but um, he was uh, a dairy farmer, but he was um, a role model. Um, and yeah. in so many ways, I'm a, I'm a copy of him and grateful to him for instilling in me what's important in life and, and being a good person and doing the right things. And so... I would still want his wisdom uh, overseeing me. Um, you know, that's a good question about who else would be on there. I mean, there are s- there are some role models that I have that maybe people wouldn't be as familiar with. Um, um, one is um, a woman uh, from Maine. Uh, her name was Margaret Chase Smith, 
she was a U.S. senator, mm-hmm. and she was one of the first people to stand up to McCarthyism back in the era. She um, called it for what it was, and um, she had passed by the time I went to Maine and worked in television for many years. But covering her there and seeing her her legacy, seeing mm-hmm. people who got into politics because of her, who were influenced by her, um, she has always struck me as a, as a wonderful role model. And I know a lot of people may not may not know her. Uh, she was actually the first woman ever nominated to be president, nominated at a convention in 1964. Wow. So she holds that distinction. Um, but um, just a, a moderate Republican and just a, um, a, a real uh, w- woman full of wisdom. And, um, and uh, so she was so admired in Maine in many years working for the 10 to 15 years I was up there. Um, I think that she pops in my head as a, as a, someone who would, would be a great role model. And then I have to have a journalist on the, <laughs> whether it, whether it be a Brokaw or a Cronkite or, or somebody like that, just to, you know, I have to tip my hat to them and, and have them, uh, because, uh, again, I, I, be, I respect them and, and admire what they've did for so many years. And, uh, as, as I thought about getting in this business to, to look at them as, as examples of what's good about what yeah. I do. Yeah. So those three. Tom Brokaw. What a career, huh? Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I just, credible and uh, trustworthy and, you know, just, just there aren't a ton of people you can say that about uh, necessarily anymore. So uh, I think that's why I admire him so much. The year before I graduated from St. Lawrence, he was the speaker. Did you graduate from St. Lawrence? So did my wife, Jackie. <laughs> Why didn't we talk about that in the beginning? That's so funny. Slew, yes. Laurentian. Yes, I'm a, I'm a slew grad. What yes. year? Uh, 2012. 2012. Oh, then recent. She was uh, 2004. So. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Later, we'll but talk your, about... Your, your, your point about but St. Lawrence. Yeah. He, uh, he was the speaker at commencement in 2011. Just missed it. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anyhow, Tom Brokaw. That's great. Well, I want to close the podcast uh, with just an opportunity for you to talk about current projects. I know we talked about the debate and, and we just we have plug the- some Mountain Lake PBS because uh, I, I, love, I love me some Mountain Lake PBS. <laughs> well, we do the weekly show, Mountain Lake Journal, which uh, is kind of a weekly news magazine, but also public affairs. We combine the two. And uh, as, as we talked about, we, we, we love to do stories that maybe you won't see other places or stories where we can spend some more time uh, doing the stories um, with your connection to the to the um, Air Force Base. Uh, we've done a number of stories on the volunteers who are doing such great work on the restoration of those planes there. Oh, yeah, and, that's and so just cool. just a total dedication. 
uh, to to make them look so fantastic and stories like that. We just mm-hmm. love to to tell those types of stories. Uh, um, but we also do the the debates. We look forward to that uh, every every year, every two years. Um, and so we do have the mayoral debate coming up on October 9th and then the uh, Senate 45 debate coming up on October 23rd. Um, and we do hold uh, uh, public forums, community forums, we call them, where we, we will delve into into uh, issues. As I mentioned, uh, last one before coronavirus, we would have had a couple more this year. Uh, we can't quite bring people back together yet in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we talked about rural broadband. And obviously, if anything, that's grown into a, a, a larger issue oh, with yeah. the coronavirus and the number of kids uh, learning remotely at home and still the gaps um, both in accessibility and affordability and, and how that is such such an important issue. So, you know, I love to do that. We love to do that to host those community forums. And then, of course, we've got our PBS programs that we love, Nature Frontline, uh, some of the best investigative journalism on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Masterpiece, uh, Jackie and I love yep. Masterpiece. Um, and so uh, we... You know, we 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 strive as a local station to do as much local content as we can, um, and um, that's what our our program is with Mountain Lake Journal and, and some of the other events that we do, uh, some of the other programs that we host, um, and like you said, with Passport now, it's great. Uh, people who are members can watch it anytime, and and, and that really does make a world of difference uh, that uh, that they can have everything at their fingertips and watch any of our programs. Uh, when they want. And one last thing I'll, I'll talk about. We talked about sure. remote learning. Uh, we've had customized programming uh, during the pandemic where we've been providing um, material for middle school students and high school students. No kidding. Programs that are directed toward them several hours, six hours uh, back in the spring, and at least uh, two to three hours now still you know, providing them with a break. Uh, we know that they can't stay on their laptops all day, and so what we do is supplement it with uh, programming uh, approved by the New York State Education Department, but uh, documentaries, um, other programs that are geared toward the students to help them through this, to give them at least something to break up the day, but they keep on learning. So That's awesome. That will continue for the foreseeable future as we uh, navigate our way through this. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if someone doesn't have Passport, how do they get passport? They can uh, go online, mountainlake.org, um, and, and and it's all right there. Um, it's uh, relatively affordable. I think it's uh, uh, $60 a year, so $5 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, uh, you become a member and, and, and you can get it uh, that way. And just now we've been able to start offering it to our friends in Canada, our, our Oh, very cool. Across the border are, are a big part of what we do. Um, and so for the longest time, they couldn't get it, but now they can. So that's that's great for, for Mountain Lake PBS to be able to offer it to our Canadian friends and members. Awesome. Awesome. Any final words for the gumption listeners out there? <laughs> Just have plenty of it. You need it to get through life. And, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. You've just got to say, we got to do this and we got to make it happen have a little imagination, figure out how to make it happen. Be respectful, though, uh, when you do it and uh, and see where it takes you in life. But uh, it often opens doors and leads uh, down great paths. 
Awesome. Well, keep bringing the gumption to, to your journalism and Mountain Lake PBS. Uh, I'll be watching. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, and this has been another episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. Thank you.